The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com that's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C dot com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website, which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. In the last podcast, we started reposting the series on Revelation that Elder Buddy Abernathy has been preaching over the past couple of years. We are doing this in an effort to help our regular listeners get a more consistent feel for the book of Revelation. As we stated last time, we will also be breaking his series down into subparts. And we're currently in the part that I've entitled An Introduction to the Book of Revelation. Yesterday, we posted the first half of the first sermon he preached, which began to introduce us to the book of Revelation. We've seen already in this sermon that the book of Revelation is not a book to be feared, and it's not a book that we just can't understand and therefore we ought to avoid. Rather, it's a book that is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a book that's encouraging to those of us who are experiencing persecution. It was especially encouraging to the first century church that was really under a difficult time of persecution. So join us as we go back to the book of Revelation and we finish today the first sermon in that series. And I think we'll get some encouragement from this book, just like those first century Christians did. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
Now let's just look for just a few minutes at what this first sentence in Revelation is telling us. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. Now, revelation means to disclose something. I like the idea that I heard a preacher or the terminology that I heard a preacher use. When it says revelation, it's like the Lord saying, okay, I'm going to pull back the curtain and let you see things that people don't ordinarily see. John received those visions, didn't he? He had been banished to the Isle of Patmos because of his faithfulness in preaching the gospel. That was his, that was his punishment. He was banished to the Isle of Patmos. But it was there on that aisle that God gave him great revelation. You know, isn't it neat how that the enemies can't take away your spiritual blessings? They sent him off to Patmos and said, we'll take care of him. And it was there that God opened up things to him. And by them banishing him to that island, we still read the things he saw today. And you know, the Apostle Paul, you remember, one time was caught up to the third heaven and saw things that are not lawful to be uttered. Now, the third heaven refers to eternal heaven. You know, the Bible speaks of the first heaven, the second heaven, and maybe I can go into that sometime. But for now, let me just state that he's speaking there of eternal heaven. When Paul talks about being caught up to the third heaven, and if you read about what he, what, how he describes it, then obviously we know that's the case. So the revelation means the Lord is going to show something or reveal something that has never been seen before. And he refers to it as the revelation of Jesus Christ. That means two things. First of all, Jesus is the one doing the revealing. I don't know what it says in the caption of your Bible where it says revelation, but mine says the revelation of St. John the Divine. No, the text says the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, there's no error with the King James, but sometimes... Men may add things such as that in the heading that aren't really accurate. But the text, the inspired text says the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the one doing the revealing and he is the subject matter being revealed. That's what revelation is all about, is a disclosing of things pertaining to our salvation in Christ that gets Him glory. He's the centerpiece of revelation. If you hear any preacher preaching from Revelation and the centerpiece or the central thought is something other than the glory of Christ, they're probably not interpreting it correctly. Because remember, it's, it's, a, it's a book about 
God's people in battle, but one day they'll be delivered from the battle and be in a glory world that's full of wonder, some of which we see described here. But notice how he states this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. Now, we need to make a comment about that because you may read that and say, well, does that mean Jesus is inferior to God? Does that mean that God showed Jesus something that he didn't already know? The Bible makes it clear that there is one God who are equal in power. They're equal in the sense that they're omniscient, all-knowing. They're omnipotent, all power. They're omnipresent, everywhere present. 1 John 5, 7, which by the way is removed from all other modern English translations beside the King James, says there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. I don't want to get off on this, but the way the King, the way that the the King James text is usually altered is by chipping away from verses that establish that Jesus Christ is God. First John five seven is one of them that says that pretty clear. And so you you check me out on that. You pick up you know any of the the Revised Standard, the New American Standard, any of these new versions, and see if you can find what I just said. Now it's rearranged in a different way. I was talking to one person, and they they didn't realize it wasn't there until I quoted what the King James says. You know, that's an important principle, isn't it? Whenever you're, whenever you're studying, you've got to have something that's the authority. You know, sometimes I'll read not so much modern translations, but I might, I might read a paraphrased version of the Bible, but I only give it, I only bring it to the level of a commentary. You hear me? A commentary. There are many commentaries we can use, but this is the standard. This is the unadulterated. This is the inerrant. This is the inspired. This is the preserved. You can't say that of any other modern versions. And certainly you can't say that of any paraphrase. And you can't say that of any well-known commentator, though we may appreciate their work. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to unto him. What does he mean by that? Well, think of it this way. Jesus did not, when, when Jesus came into this world, he did not lay aside his deity. He laid aside his glory. He didn't lay aside or he was not diminished In being God. He was as much God in this world as he was in heaven. What he laid aside was his glory. Look how this is described in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. 
And this idea of Jesus lowering himself is used to teach us the attitude we ought to have. Notice this in Philippians 2, 5. Let this mind, that is this attitude, be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of, There's the key word. Took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He wasn't made a a carnal, sin-cursed man. He was made in the likeness of men. If you'll look up that word likeness, you'll see that he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He didn't come in sinful flesh, but he looked like any man that you would see walking around in that day. He came in the resemblance, the likeness of sinful flesh. Now what does he mean when he said he thought it not robbery to be equal with God? You see, there are challenges to interpreting the King James because words were used differently, sentences were constructed differently. But notice what he says here. He says, Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Here's what it's saying. Jesus did not look at it as a big sacrifice to leave heaven and lower himself. He thought it not robbery. You know, sometimes we say, well, you know, I'm too good for that. I'm not going to lower myself. Have you ever heard someone say that? Christians don't need to say that. That's what a Christian is. It's someone that lowers themselves. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. What's he saying here? He's saying even though he was equal with God, he did not look at it as, as diminishing himself in that he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. You ever heard someone say, well, I have a reputation to look out for. Well, uh, hello, didn't Jesus have a reputation in heaven? He wasn't too concerned about his reputation. And he's someone that could have men. So when it says that God gave to Jesus this revelation, the idea there is not that Jesus is less God, but it's speaking of Jesus' position, how uh, how he submitted himself to God the Father. And that's that's how the scripture presents him until the Lord comes back and claims those he purchased. See, Jesus is not through saving his people. Let me qualify that. He's already paid the price. He regenerates them and will continue to do so. But salvation's not finished until we get to heaven. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 how that it speaks of Jesus being again exalted with the Father after the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 uh, verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead for as in Adam all died this is speaking of the physical death and the physical resurrection for as in Adam all die even so in Christ shall all be made alive but every man in his own order Christ the first fruits afterward they that are Christ 
at his coming. Then cometh the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have, listen, when he, Jesus, shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. You see, in, 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 the, in the complete sense of salvation, everything hasn't been finished. He must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now listen to these two verses. For he, now this is speaking of God, he hath put all things under his, under Jesus' feet. But when he saith, when God saith all things are put under him, It is manifest, that is, it's clear, that he, that is God, is accepted, which did put all things under him. Now notice this. I want you to understand this verse. God put all things under Jesus' feet. But Paul is saying clearly, God is the exception to this. He says... It is manifest that God is accepted, but what did God do? God's the one which did put all things under him. So see this, all things are under Jesus with the exception of the Father. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him that God may be all in all. So notice in heaven, Jesus is with the Father in his glorified state. All things have now been subdued. All things are finished. And Jesus himself, notice that word, is now subject unto him that put all things under him. So Jesus is God. There's just a distinction, a recognition between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Now let's try to finish this one sentence here in Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. God or Jesus, rather, is pulling back the curtain. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. Now, why did God give the revelation to Jesus? To show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. We've already established what he means by shortly come to pass. But who is this revelation intended for? His theologians who know more than the average church members? That's not what it says. To show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. You know, sometimes preachers will ask me, well, Brother Buddy, are you premillennial, amillennial? You know, they'll ask you how you interpret Revelation. I don't even like to use those terms because the purpose of Revelation is to show to servants... Not professors, but to show unto servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel 
unto his servant John. Now that's not even the end of the first sentence, but I'm going to stop there after I show you the, the chain here. This is the revealing of Jesus Christ. God gave this revealing unto Christ. But notice it says, He, that is Jesus, sent and signified it. The word signified comes from what? The word signs. There's a lot of signs in Revelation, a lot of wonders. Jesus sent and signified this revelation. How? What was the vehicle by which Jesus sent this revelation to John while on the island of Patmos? He sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant. There it is again. Unto his servant, John. Here's why we need not be intimidated, intimidated by the book of Revelation. Jesus sent an angel to give this revelation to a servant. And the, and the servant, John, is to take that, that revelation and give it to other servants. That's you and I. You see, these people in those seven churches, they didn't have access to a library. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have Matthew Henry's commentary. They didn't have all of those resources. And I'm not being critical of resources. I, I use a lot of resources. I'm glad I have them. But this can benefit us now. And if, when, if you study or if the Lord leads us someday to preach on some of those weird visions, I think one way that you can simplify them is to not be saying, well, what do the eyes represent? What do the horns represent? What does this represent? No, it's just a picture. You know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. Those visions are pictures, listen, that represents ideas. You don't pick the picture apart and figure out what each little detail means. It just gives you an idea. So I don't know the, how the Lord will lead us, but I hope that I've at least, if nothing else, helped you not to be afraid of reading the book of Revelation, as a matter of fact, a few verses down, it says this is the only book in the Bible where it says that the people who read it are blessed. Now, you're going to be blessed reading any book in the Bible, but this is the only one that I know of. And if you can show me I'm wrong by uh, looking at the other 65 books, I'm all for it. But this is the only one I found where it says you're blessed if you read it. Do you think that might be because the Lord knew we might be afraid to read it or intimidated or say, you know, I just can't understand Revelation? I think the Lord just anticipated how we would respond. And he would he said, Don't be discouraged. I'll bless you if you'll read it. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast.
I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. 